Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you please turn to two passages, Daniel chapter 10 and Ephesians chapter 6. We are in our series called Seek, which is all about praying and fasting, and we're seeking after God to begin our new year. Uh, for those of you that are in the Seek groups and are doing fast, uh, you're two weeks in. How's it going? Amen. Amen. We're hearing awesome things about what God's doing in those groups. Um, if you're new here, maybe you picked one up, we have some prayer points that we're praying through as a church. And on the back, you can write down some of the things that you're praying for yourself and that your group's praying for if you're in one. I would encourage you, grab one of those, uh, join us in praying because we want to see God do things this year like we have never seen him do before because there is a need in our church, there's a need in our city, there's a need in every one of our lives. So I'd encourage you, uh, if you've been doing the prayer and fasting, stick with it. It will produce incredible results in your life, in this church, in this city. Uh, if you aren't doing that, then join up with us and go ahead and get involved in this last week. It's going to be awesome. And for those of you that have seen answers to your prayers already, I'd encourage you, let us know. Uh, shoot us an email at info at radianta2.com. Tell us what God's been doing because we'd love to be able to celebrate that with you. Now, we've been talking the last couple weeks about how prayer connects us to God. That's one of the things that it does. Um, you know, we relationally encounter God when we pray. It's also a time when we can intercede for others, and we have the petitioning part of prayer where we're asking God for the things that we need to see Him do. But there's also another part of prayer uh, that isn't talked about as much, and that is warfare pray, prayer. When we pray, it's also an act of warfare. It's a way that we resist the enemy and the work that he's trying to do in our lives. And for me, uh, growing up, hearing about like, spiritual warfare was scary. It's like, ooh, that's spooky stuff. I'm not really into that. And so I just pretty much avoided it and pretended it wasn't going on for most of my life. And then we decided to plant a church, and I became much more aware of the reality of spiritual warfare. And when we were doing our training for this, we did it through an association of churches. It's actually called the Association of Related Churches. It was started by a pastor named Chris Hodges, who started a church 15 years ago, and they're running about 35,000, so they're doing all right. Uh, just a little church in Birmingham. But when he was on staff at another church before this, one of his jobs was he was sent down by the lead pastor of the church to a church in Columbia because what had happened is there's a church in Columbia, which at the time was just completely overrun with drug warlords and all kinds of terrible things going on there. But this church rose up and they were running 120, 130,000 people a week. They were meeting in soccer stadiums there. They couldn't all meet in one place, so they had to have different people preaching in different stadiums in and around the city so that they could accommodate everybody. And they had over 10,000 small groups. And this was a time in the United States when small groups was just starting to become a thing. So his pastor sent him down there and said, I want you to find out what they're doing because we want to do that here. So he goes down there, and he's got his legal pad. He's got all the questions written out that his pastor told him to get answered. So he meets with the pastor, and uh, Chris doesn't speak any Spanish, and the pastor there doesn't speak any English, so they have a translator. And he comes in, and there's no small talk. He just digs right into it, and he says, um, you know, uh, how many groups do you have? And the guy's like, blah, 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 blah. And the translator says, 10,000. And he's like, all right. It's like, so, uh, um, you know, like, where do your groups meet? Blah, 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 blah. So, and the translator's like, they meet in their homes. And he's like, all right. And he says, uh, about how long do these meetings last? And the guy's like, and he just goes on for like 15 minutes. And he's talking about like, you need to get right with the Lord. You need the power of God inside of your life. And he's just going off preaching to Chris like he's not even saved. 
And Chris is just sitting there like shaking his head, and he's like, wow, you know, that really blessed me. Uh, thanks for sharing that with me. Uh, how long do your groups meet? And once again, the guy just goes off for another 10, 15 minutes about getting right with God and the power of God in his life. And he's just sitting there, and he's like, that's, that's really, really good, but he's like, my translator's asking the wrong question. And he's like, but no, I mean, that's all great stuff, but really, how long do your groups meet? And the pastor gets mad, and he stands up, and he says to Chris, I can tell that you have not won in the spiritual. Chris is like, I knew the translator was messing up the question. And he's like, what do you mean? And he says, Chris, you can't just come and take the system and the administrative aspect of how we run our groups. Take that back to America and expect it to produce the same results that we're seeing here. That's not how it works. See, what happened is we spent two, three years identifying the spiritual strongholds in our city. And then we strategically prayed against these things. He said, in fact, we just had 10,000 members of our youth group that are just now coming off a 40-day water-only fast because they are so committed to seeing Jesus exalted in this place and seeing salvation come to those that are in prison, seeing that our country will no longer be ravaged and war-torn, but that God is going to bring peace to it, that they decided they were going to give up all these comforts and they were going to seek after God. And this was a completely voluntary thing. They didn't make them do that. But that's how committed they were to spiritual warfare and combating what was happening in the spiritual. He says, Chris, if you take the system that we're using and take it to America, you're not going to have the same results. What you have to understand is that you have to win in the spiritual before you will ever see the natural, physical results that you're trying to get. Amen. And so Chris put his sheet away, put it under his, his desk, and he said, all right, tell me what I need to do. And so Chris went back and shared that with his church, and Chris decided when he started his own church that they were going to start and build the church only on prayer and fasting, and they were going to identify the spiritual strongholds that were in the city of Birmingham, and that they were going to pray for God to defeat all of those powers. And the result of that, like I said now, it's 15 years later, 30,000 plus people are gathering every week. And it wasn't because they found a system, and they do have incredible systems that they use but it's because they won the battle in the spiritual. And now, some of you, that might sound like a really weird kind of, you know, new-agey thing, but I can assure you it's not. The idea of battle going on in the spiritual is something that we see in the Old Testament. It's something that Jesus addresses. We see it all through the New Testament. An incredible example of, or a glimpse of what's happening in the spiritual is found in Daniel chapter 10. And in Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Xerxes of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. At that time, I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I had used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze. 
And his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. And then Daniel basically falls out like a dead person. And then in, in verses 10 through 14, it says, Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I came in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. And then the angel gives Daniel some understanding of what his vision was all about, and then he gets ready to leave him, saying in verses 19 through 21, Don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. As he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger and said to him, Please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. And he replied, Do you know why I have come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, and after that the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. Meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. So what's happened in this passage is Daniel receives a vision during a time of prayer and fasting, and this vision is very confusing to him. He doesn't know what it is that God's trying to speak to him. He knows that God's trying to speak to him, but he doesn't understand what it is. So he begins to pray, God, thank you for giving me this vision, but what does this mean? I need understanding. Like, what do I do with this now? And he doesn't get the answer to his prayer immediately. And so in that moment, I, we find ourselves in those situations a lot where God puts something on your heart uh, and, and you're saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do with this? Or you're praying for something and we don't see the immediate result of that. And so Daniel's in that position and he could have given up on praying and said, this must not be God's will. Maybe it was me or maybe God's failed in this area. Or he can choose to continue to pray and persevere in prayer and continue to believe that God will answer that prayer that he's bringing before him. And so he keeps praying and he receives the miraculous angelic visit in response to his prayers. And the angel gives him the meaning of the dream and the vision that he has. But even more than that, the angel also tells him why there was this delay between when Daniel started praying and when he started to receive the answer. It says that the day that he prayed, his prayer was heard in heaven and that God dispatched the answer to his prayer. Before a time, he's being held up by the spirit prince of Persia. And what this is talking about is spiritual authorities and powers that are reigning and ruling over different regions. Yeah. Now, I was like, what is that talking about? But this is in the Bible. And this angel is battling with this. And it's not until it says that the archangel Michael comes to help him. They do a tag team. Michael jumps in <laughs> and he starts fighting. And then this other angel is able to go and bring the answer to the prayer. Amen. I mean, even more, I think, revelatory than the answer to that vision was the glimpse of what's going on in the heavenlies when we pray. The spiritual warfare that is occurring. And so what we have to do is when we enter into these, when we're deciding that we're going to contest the way that the enemy is working inside of the world, we can pray for that, and we can have a confidence that our prayers are heard, but we also have to understand that we don't always immediately see the answer to that prayer because there is a battle going on in the heavenlies that we don't see with our physical eyes. When we pray, it connects us with God, 
When we pray, it is a time of petitioning God and asking Him to move and to do things, but it's also a time of warfare when we can test what it is that the enemy is doing in the lives of other people. And too many times, we are unsuccessful in what we're trying to do, the good things that God's called us to, the things that he's given you a vision for, the things he's called you to pray for, because we haven't learned to win the battle in the spiritual. We're continuing to do everything we can physically to make it happen, but if the battle hasn't been won in the heavenly place, then we will never see the manifestation of the vision or the prayer that we've been praying. And so this morning, I have two goals for you guys. One is to raise your awareness of the fact that spiritual warfare is taking place and that we are engaged in it. And then the other thing is to help make it so it's not a weird or scary thing for you. So I think there's basically three different views that people have of spiritual warfare. You have one group of people who believe that it's going on, but they're scared about it. And so they had the approach of, hey, if I don't mess with the devil, he won't mess with me. <laughs> have you ever heard people say that about bees? Hey, as long as I don't bother a bee, it's not going to sting me. That is a crock. I've been stung so many times. Like you see the bee and it lands in, like, hey, we're cool. We're like, ouch, what was that about? I didn't even do anything to you. It was like saying, if, if I don't mess with gravity, gravity won't have any effect on me. I'm going to jump to the moon. Now you can ignore realities all you want. That doesn't make it true. Then there's a second group of people who believe that the devil is behind everything that happens to them in life. There was this one woman I knew when I lived in Tennessee, and like she'd always be sharing with me at church about how the devil had pushed her down the stairs again. And I'm like, again? Like how many times has this happened? And she's like, I was closing the window and the devil made me shut my hand in the window. And I'm like, you, lady, you're clumsy. Like, don't give the devil credit for things he's not even doing. The devil's like, I've done enough bad stuff. I don't need credit for the stuff you're doing to yourself as well. So don't try to over-spiritualize everything that happens. But then there's another group of people and they don't recognize that there's any spiritual warfare going on at all. They just believe that everything that happens is what it is that we can see. And so they are the ones that become incredibly frustrated because even as believers, you can believe the things that God's called you to, but if you're not aware of the devices and the schemes of the enemy and what it is that he's trying to do, if you're not actively engaging and contesting what it is that Satan wants to do in your ministry, in your family, in your life, in our church, then you're never going to see the fruit of what it is that God wants to do inside of you. So there are four spiritual realities today that I want you to be aware of. And the first one is that, number one, the devil is real. There's a really sobering stat that came out recently, and it said that more than half of all American Christians think that the devil is a symbol of evil as opposed to an actual being. Over half of all people that claim to be Christians don't believe there's an actual devil. And that's the greatest thing the devil could ever do. It's to make you believe that he doesn't exist. How are you going to oppose someone or even be aware of what they're doing when you don't even acknowledge the fact that they exist? I can assure you, the devil is not a symbol. He's not the idea or the concept of evil. Jesus himself speaks to the fact that Satan is real. He said that I saw Lucifer fall from heaven to the earth like lightning. Jesus was there when Satan was Lucifer. He was created to be the covering angel when he rebelled against God and a third of the angels rebelled with him and they were cast out of heaven. He is a real person. Not a person like us, but he is a real being. And Jesus himself attests to this. So if he isn't real, then you have some other issues because you don't believe that everything that Jesus said is in fact truth. So then the second thing is that the devil is at war with you. 
I think too many times we become spiritual pacifists. We don't want to engage in it, or we, we don't believe that the devil is actively trying to do things, that he's actively involved in opposing the things that God has called me to do and opposing the work of God inside of our lives. We're just not even aware of the fact that he's at war with you. And when you're not even aware of the fact that someone's at war with you, bad things are going to happen. I think of it this way. If you have a home and you have your, your spouse and your children in there, and you're not aware that there's a thief that's inside of there that's destroying things, uh, you're going to be in trouble. You can't oppose someone that you don't know is there. And this is what it says in John 10.10. 10. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is what Satan wants to do inside of your life. He wants to steal from you, steal your purpose, steal the blessings that God has for you, steal the vision that God has from you. He wants to bring destruction to you and to your family, and he wants to kill. Those are the only three things that he ever wants to do. Those are not friendly things. He is warring against you. And when I'm tell you what, when Satan kicks in the door of your life and he attacks you and he attacks your family, you better rise up and you better war back against him. And then number three, the devil has real power. Now, he isn't just some guy in a red jumpsuit and a pitchfork that goes around trick-or-treating on Halloween. Uh, he has power. He has some level of authority. And we open ourselves up to the work of the devil when we do things like sin. See, sin is an open door. When we engage in a pattern of sin, it opens up and gives the devil authority to come and to do things inside of our lives that will bring destruction and death. death. And when we do that, it doesn't just affect us. It affects our entire family. The, the scriptures speak about generational curses. There are things that people in the past opened up a door to the enemy in by actions and sins that they entered into, and now that's a pattern, that's a generational curse that you continue to see played out in your family over and over again. Uh, look at alcoholism. There very well may be a genetic link to that, that might be completely what's happening there, but there is also a level, you'll see it happen in families. Because that becomes the pattern, it becomes the norm that is established for the children that are growing up inside of that household. It's modeled for them. It becomes a place where Satan has influence in that. You even look at things like divorce, you see there's a pattern there in families. Uh, you can look at lots of things. I remember taking a class once, it was about mapping out generational things that you see, and you could trace the problems in one family and see how it was in the family before them and the family before them, back and back, because somewhere someone had opened up a door for the enemy to come in and to get a foothold inside of their life and exert power and authority over them. And so be aware of that. And then the fourth thing is that the devil is subject to the name of Jesus. Amen. And that's the good thing. Yeah. The devil may be real. The yeah. devil may be at war with you. And he may have some power and authority. But he has no authority over Jesus. Yeah. And at the name of Jesus, he must submit. Luke 10, 17 says this. When the 72 disciples returned, Jesus had sent out 72 disciples telling them to heal and to cast out demons. It says, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. See, the demons who had been tormenting people, who had been causing destruction inside of their life, when they said, at the name of Jesus, you must leave, the demons left. I, one of my favorite examples of this is there's the man who's demon-possessed, and he's running around a graveyard naked, cutting himself. So what is the human solution to try to help people? Is they bound him up with chains. 
Every time we try to help people physically, we always end up binding them up and putting them in a worse place than they were. And they had no power to get rid of the root problem, which was that this man is possessed by demons. So Jesus comes and he just says, out. And it isn't even a contest. They just leave. At the name of Jesus, the enemy must submit. And what was different about the disciples when they, before they were sent out to cast out demons and heal and after they were sent out to do that? Was it that they had figured out some pattern? Was it that they had increased in knowledge somehow? Or was it that the name of Jesus had power and authority to do this? It's at the name of Jesus. Every other name is lower than the name of Jesus. There is no, it says in the Bible that Jesus is Lord over all. All authority, all, all power has been given to him. It says that every enemy is being made a footstool underneath his feet. So this means that we as Christians, we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be frightened by the fact that spiritual warfare is going on around us. It's not a scary thing. It's not a weird or an unnatural thing because at the heart of it, we are spiritual beings. We're having a temporary physical experience, but we are spiritual beings. And we are engaged in a spiritual war against spiritual enemies. And we win this war in the spiritual. And we're able to win it because on the cross, Jesus laid down his life to win our freedom, to conquer the enemy. Sin and death have been defeated. Jesus reigns and rules over all things. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. If our God is for us, then who can stand against us? Amen. We don't have to be scared. Amen. We're victorious because of what Jesus Amen. has already done. We can engage in spiritual warfare knowing that we will be victorious in it because the God who lives and dwells inside of us is the one who's victorious and reigns and rules over all things. Amen. So we have to change our perspective. We have to be those who actively engage in spiritual warfare if we want to see all of the things that God has spoken to us actually come into existence. We need to take up the offensive. We can't just run anymore. We can't ignore it anymore. We have to actively engage in prayer and in warfare. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this when talking about spiritual warfare. He says uh, in verses 10 through 18, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor, armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle... You will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Uh, every war has an offense and a defense to it. And this is how we play the defense. This is the way that Paul starts out. He says the way that we are defensive in the spiritual war is that we stand firm in the Lord and in his mighty power. It says don't stand in your own power. Don't try to fight on your own. It says that we stand up against the strategies and the devices of the enemy through God's power. If you're walking on your own, relying on your own strength, you are going to be completely overwhelmed. 
I mean, the simple fact of the matter is that Satan is stronger than you. He's smarter than you. He's even better looking than you. We don't stand a chance against him. He will have his way in you and in your family if you try to stand against him of your own power and your own might. But when we stand firm in the Lord and in his mighty power, there is absolutely nothing that can defeat us. It says that if we stand firm in the Lord, then we will continue to stand. And then he says that we have to put on the armor of God. And it's not saying there's actual physical things that you have to put on, but it's talking about the things that have been provided for you through the cross are things that we really have to take hold of now. That helmet of salvation. We have to believe I am saved. I'm taking fully hold of the salvation that God's brought for me. I'm taking hold of the peace that has been made between God and I through the cross. I'm taking hold of the joy that he's given me. I'm taking hold of faith that extinguishes all the fiery darts of the enemy because it doesn't matter what it is that I might see. My faith is in God and in what he's called me to. My faith is in God and in his word. And every attack of the enemy that will try to get me to get off track will get me to doubt what it is that God God's called me to, that can be extinguished by faith. Amen. I'm going to stand firm in God and in his mighty power, and I'm going to use the weapons that God has provided for me. But this isn't just a defense. Spiritual war is also offensive. Yeah. Jesus spoke to this himself when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who I know you to be. And Jesus said, on this truth, the fact that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Too many times we take that as a defensive thing, like the enemy is just going to continue to attack us, but the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against the church. That's not what it's talking about. Gates are not offensive weapons. They're stationary. They're trying to keep you out. What it's saying is that the church will storm the gates of hell, and that the gates of hell will not be able to stand up against the onslaught of the church. That they will be broken down and destroyed through what Jesus has done and that the captives are going to be released and freed. But what is our offensive weapon then? It says that our offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now how, so if Satan, he's shooting the fiery arrows at you. It doesn't say pick up another bow and shoot him back from a distance. It says you take up the sword. You got to get up close to use a sword. You got to run to the enemy to use your sword. You have to engage them. It's not just blindly shooting, hoping you hit something. It's, I have identified my enemy. I am running at my enemy. And I'm going to see my enemy defeated. That's the offensive weapon. What is it? What is that? The Spirit of God. It says it's the Word. How did Jesus attack the enemy when he was tempted in the desert? Exactly. He said, it is written. You might be bringing against all these other things against me, but this is what the word of God says. And it wasn't just that he'd memorized some bumper stickers that you see on cars and just threw it out. It was his core conviction and belief. Jesus' mind it says that our minds are to be renewed by the word. It means that now we change the way that we think to line up with what God has revealed. Not that we hope this is true, but this has become the operational reality for our existence, is that we believe everything that the Word of God says. And that's how we attack. We use that against the enemy. If it's the way that Jesus fought against the devil, it's the way that we need to fight the devil as well. And then Paul goes on to say that we also pray all kinds of prayers on all occasions. 
that when we pray, we're asking God to come and to defeat the enemy. We've identified what it is that God wants, or what Satan's trying to do in our life. We're attacking it with scripture, but we're also saying, God, now I need you to come and I need you to be the one who defeats this enemy. God, I need you to be the one who raises up and is my defender, who strengthens me, but I need you to send this thing that I'm coming up against you back to the pits of hell. Jesus, I need you to do that. And so that's what he says. You need to pray. We need to pray all kinds of prayers. That means the connection prayers where we want to encounter God in his presence, prayers where we're asking God to speak to us, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of petition, but also prayers that engage in spiritual warfare against the powers and the principalities that are ruling over places and over people. Yeah. And then it goes on in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, Paul addresses more this idea of spiritual warfare. And he says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So what it's saying here is that the world fights in one way. Whenever there's a conflict or whenever there's a war, have you ever noticed people aren't fighting against anything but people? We never attack the trees or the rocks. Uh, you know, like we're always fighting against people. And they always use weapons like guns and knives and bombs. That's the way that we fight. But, but Paul says that's not the way that we fight as Christians. Amen. We never fight against people. Amen. Our war isn't against people. Amen. Our war is against spiritual powers and principalities. Here's what happens, is the devil comes in, the true enemy, and he attacks, and we identify people as the enemy that we need to fight against. How can you possibly defeat the works of spiritual powers and authorities by attacking other people? We've been deceived. We don't even know who we're supposed to fight. Even when we look at something like right now, there is a great conflict with ISIS. There is a group of people who are doing absolutely terrible, horrific things. But what did Jesus tell us to do? He said, pray for your enemies. He said to bless those who oppress you and who persecute you. Jesus had many physical enemies, but he didn't take up the sword against any of them. He laid his life down for them. Because he recognized that the reason that people were living this way was because they were spiritual hostages. People are never the enemy. People are the prize that God is going after. There is not one person in this world that was not created to be a son or a daughter of the living God. There is not one person who was ever more evil or wicked than anyone else. But there are people who are in bondage and who are living as slaves to powers and spiritual authorities. And they don't even know it. So we don't fight people. We don't fight political parties. We don't fight each other. We fight against the principalities and the spiritual princes that are reigning and ruling over places and over people. And we fight not the way the world fights. We fight in spiritual ways. And this is what it says that we do. This is the target that we have, is that we tear down strongholds. And this is what a stronghold is. A stronghold is someone who is living by something that is not true. Someone who is bought into a lie. And they're living with this lie as truth. And so what we do is we come against this lie that they've been believing and we bring truth into it so that they can be set free. The way they train elephants to stay around, you ever notice that zoos are just 
uh, if they're tied up at a circus, there's just a little tiny rope that's holding them, and you're like, that elephant could completely break out of there at any moment and go rampaging if they wanted. But the elephants, the way they train them is they'll chain them up first, and then the elephant begins to accept the fact that it's chained up and it can't get away. And then they can just put a little tiny rope on them, they can snap, but because they feel something there, they will live in bondage their entire life. And that's the way the enemy works in us. The enemy will come and he will tell you that what's happening right now, that's the way that's going to be forever. Your marriage can never be saved. The sickness that you're dealing with can never be healed. You've disqualified yourself from the call of God. You've done something that's unforgivable. These are all strongholds that the enemy builds up inside of the minds of people. And we come against every stronghold. And we break it down. And we pray specifically for these things. So if you have someone in your life, a, a child maybe that's far from God, what you need to do is to identify that stronghold that they've believed. You need to identify spiritually what's happened in them. And you pray spiritually against whatever it is that's holding them in bondage. When Ann and I moved here to Ann Arbor, and we were praying for the city, one of the things actually in our visits is we recognize that there was a spirit of pride that reigns and rules over the city. People thinking they don't need God because life is good. They are their own sufficiency. They can provide for themselves. That through pursuing intellect, through pursuing uh, you know, wealth, through all these other things, that they can live a life that will bring them fullness, that they can have life somehow. That's pride. And it is strong inside of this city. And it's a lie, it's a stronghold that people have bought into and believed and it keeps them from being humbled and recognizing the need that they have for Jesus. And the reason that Satan would work through something like pride is because it says that God opposes the proud. That's a brilliant scheme. Get people to buy into something that will make God oppose them and they don't even know it. So here's how Anna and I and the core team when we moved here targeted that. We said, God, we pray against pride, the spirit of pride that reigns and rules in this place. God, we ask that the spirit of humility would come into this place. Lord, that you would break down the walls and the lies that people are believing that they are their own sufficiency, that they don't have any need for you. And God, that instead, that they would humble themselves, see their need for you, see that you are a God who is good and who loves them. And Jesus, that as you break through, that the Spirit would bring them truth and that they would humble themselves and that they would turn to you and repent. And that's something that we've seen starting to happen and it's something we're going to continue to pray because this is a stronghold in our city. And we have to continue to identify these strongholds before we see in the natural the things that we're praying for. We, first most, we must first overcome in the supernatural. And for you and the things that you're praying for and you're believing for, you have to recognize the strongholds that have set themselves up, maybe in your own mind, maybe in the minds of people that you're praying for, maybe at a higher level over our city, our region, maybe over the nation but to recognize where the real battle is, recognize what the real enemy is, and then engage it through Scripture, which is why you need to know your Bibles, engage it through prayer, and attack those strongholds. You guys stand with me this morning. Do you guys want to see plus one? where this church is filled to overflowing and we're needing more space and we're needing more people and, and just incredible things happening where a city is turning itself to God, then we have to engage in the heavenlies, the battle that's going on.
We have to commit ourselves to prayer. We have to commit ourselves to fasting. We have to identify the strongholds and we have to attack them. We can't live in fear anymore. We can't live apathetic anymore. We have to fight. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, thank you that you are the one who reigns and rules over all things. You are victorious. On the cross, you won the victory. And Jesus, we pray now that you continue to expand your influence, expand your reign, Jesus, that you would continue to knock down every stronghold. And Father, we pray right now in this time that you would speak to our hearts. God, would you reveal the stronghold that set itself up in our own minds. God, would you reveal the stronghold, the lie that the people we're praying for have been believing that keeps them from coming to you and keeps them from entering into the fullness of all that you have for them. Jesus, would you reveal to us the strongholds over this city and the people that are here? God, fill us with faith, fill us with boldness, fill us with perseverance to continue to storm the gates of the enemy until we see the fullness of all that you've spoken to us. Jesus, I pray over every person here, Lord, that you would be their strength, that they would have power that comes from you. God, as you told Daniel, you are precious to God. We know that you say the same thing to every person here, that they are precious to you, that they are so precious that you bought their salvation on the cross, that whoever should believe in you would have eternal life. God, we pray for repentant hearts here this morning. Lord, we pray that every stronghold in our minds would be broken down and that we would be led into the fullness of truth through the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we pray that we would take captive every thought for Christ. God, we pray for all of those that have been in our hearts, Jesus, uh, for children who are far from you, from parents and other family members, co-workers who are far from you. God, that you would move. God, we pray for your victory to be imposed in them. Jesus, we pray that you would expose every lie that they've been believing. Jesus, we plead that your sacrifice would not have been in vain, but Lord, that it would be uh, fulfilled in the lives of these people. God, we pray there would be brokenness over our city. Every stronghold would be thrown down. Jesus, we pray now that we would see thousands in our city turn to you, tens of thousands turn to you, a city that calls upon the name of the Lord. Jesus, we pray that this would be a place where people walk humbly, where people walk united. God, not for a spirit of competition with each other, Lord, but a spirit of unity where we're thinking of the needs of others more than ourselves. Jesus, we pray that we would look past all of the differences that we have and look instead to the thing that we have in common, which is sonship and daughtership and that we belong to your family, that we've been united in a common cause to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we pray for healing. Lord, we pray for restored marriages. God, we pray for hope to come to the hopeless. God, we pray for all of those now who feel as though they are unloved, that they feel that you don't love them or care about them, that there is no God, there is no hope. We pray now that you would break through that, God, and that you would speak to them miraculously, that they would hear your voice that calls to them. Jesus, we pray for a generation to be saved inside of our city. And God, we continue to pray for your presence. Jesus, we want to know you more. We want your fullness inside of our lives. God, we want to encounter you in the place of prayer. We want to hear you speak to us clearly. We want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do all of the things that you've called us to do. So Jesus, continue to build your church. Continue to free hostages and build your family and use us, God. Fill us with boldness and with faith. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.